Hey, if you're excited to be in God's house on Resurrection Sunday, will you just one more time make some noise up in this place? Come on. So excited to be here this morning, and I want to welcome all of you joining us via live stream and maybe potentially on playback. We're so excited that you're part of our church family, too. We know that you cannot be here physically in the building, and this is what we like to say. If you can possibly be here, we'd like you to be here because just something special happens when you're in the house of God together. And I want to encourage you to be back next Sunday because we're going to kick off a brand new series, a series that we are are calling you asked for it and so I want to draw your attention back to this connect card one more time if you'll pull that out and on the back side of that connection card it's got a survey a quick survey that we would love for you to fill out and um, here's what we're gonna do as we kick off this series next Sunday we're gonna be answering some of the questions that maybe you have had maybe you look around in the world around you and you're wondering man what is it that God has to say about that particular topic or there's something inside of scripture that you've always wondered about this series you asked for it, is going to answer all of those, or as many of those as we possibly can. And so we put on there some that we hear a lot about that people have questions about, and maybe it's not on that list at all. There's a spot that you could write down for that. And uh, if you'll fill that out, and like I said, later in the service, we'll give together in an offering. You could drop that in there. And then this next series is just going to be built all around that. I'm excited about that. But, but today, we celebrate the most amazing, most momentous day in the history of the, of the world. Literally, no other day is like this day. It was the most incredible, most amazing day that ever happened, but it didn't start out amazing. When it first started out, it, those that were followers of Jesus that had walked with God for the last three years and, and seen Jesus do incredible things, this day started off a whole lot differently for them. When they walked with Jesus, they were able to see Jesus do incredible things. They, they witnessed him in first row seats, uh, to some of the most amazing miracles that God has ever done. They watched as God raised um, people back from the dead. People who had been dead for, for, in some cases, days. Jesus lifted them back up and, and he raised them from the dead. Some people were blind, blind from birth, and Jesus healed them of their blind eyes. Some of them were, were deaf and God opened up their ears. These disciples watched Jesus do incredible things, defy physics as he walked on water and create out of thin air food. I mean, when you think about all of the incredible things that Jesus had done, that these disciples had been witness to, it was amazing. And then you come to a passage in scripture like Matthew 27, and things look like a whole lot different. These disciples had been part of, of the kingdom of God, and now their king lay on a cross. And when they're looking at that, they're thinking, what, could, what good could possibly come out of this? And they absolutely scattered. And I can't say that I completely blame them because they, they didn't know what else to do. What else could they do? They ran and they hid. And the Bible records exactly what happens on that momentous day in Matthew 27, verse 45. And it says this, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those who were standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and, and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. It was finished. The end of a dream. 
Everything that they had banked on for the last three years of their life was now dead on a cross. And as these disciples looked on, they must have thought, this week started out so much differently. Like, it, it started incredible. It, what, what began the week with jubilant celebration. People were, were yelling and screaming, throwing palm leaves down, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. The king has come. And, and the beginning of the week started so amazing, now ended so terribly. What started off as something incredible ended awful. Friday was terrible. Monday was amazing. Friday was awful. And now, hanging on, his, on this cross, Jesus was breathing his last breath. And what I mean to tell you this today is maybe this is your worst day. Maybe when you think about like the week or the season of life that you're in, you look at, at your life and you say, man, things are so bad. It's, it's a Friday moment for you. Friday being a dark, terrible moment. Maybe it's in the relationships in your life. Maybe it, it's in the future and it seems so uncertain. Maybe you don't have anything to your name today or maybe you're a business owner and things aren't going the direction that, that you wanted it to go. And, and, and you haven't even told your spouse because you're, you're nervous about how they would take that information. And, and if you're in the middle of this and, and you're having a dark season of your life, I want to encourage you because I want to show you what happened on the world's worst day. The day that, that Jesus jumped down and, and crawled in neck deep into the mud and mire of humanity, and he walked into a dark tomb, and he came out victorious. And that is amazing when you think about it. It's incredible to behold that Jesus was able to do this. And you know what? This is the first thing that I wanted you to, to take away from this Easter weekend is this simple point. With Jesus, failure is never final. With Jesus, if you're a note taker, you should write this down. Failure is never final. For us, failure could be final. What looks like a tomb to us is just simply a new beginning to Jesus. Now, each and every one of us at some point in our life has had failure. You have faced failure in some capacity at some point in your life. The disciples were facing failure in this moment. I think of Peter. This guy who was, who was leading the charge in the church. And Peter was the kind of guy like I could really get behind because Peter, you would never hire Peter to be on your church staff. You know, Peter was just a, he had a bit of a cussing problem. He was a fisherman, kind of a burly guy. You know, he just had an issue. He actually, during, when they were coming to arrest Jesus, he cuts a dude, dude's ear off, right? And I don't think it was because he was aiming for the ear, right? Like Peter just had an issue and, and, and Jesus is the kind of guy that says, this is the guy that I, I want to have around on my church staff, right? And, and Peter, he was the guy that looked at Jesus right before he was crucified and he said, Jesus, if everybody leaves you, I'll never leave you. If everybody runs and hides from you, if they all scatter, I'll be the one that sticks with you to the very end. I'll even die with you. And Jesus said, I'll tell you what, Peter, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter was like, that would never happen. And that's exactly what happened. And I think about Peter, and I think about this morning when, when he woke up on a Sunday morning thinking that it's, it's done, it's over, and he probably woke up early that morning to the sound of a rooster. And I wonder if how many times, every time Peter heard that noise of the rooster, if it didn't draw him back to his failure, if it didn't draw him back to those, those moments where his, his greatest shame existed. You know, it's amazing. Isn't it incredible how much sounds and smells can draw you back to stuff, right? Like one smell can pull you right back into grandma's house. You know what I mean? Like if, if you hear certain things, as soon as you hear them, it's like you're right there again. I, I'll prove it to you. How many of you guys remember this song? Sweet Caroline. Good times never seem so good. 
that's the club crowd. That, yeah, we're just happy you're here. You made it to church on Easter. Come on. If you knew that part, you were in the club, you know. It's all right. My wife was over there going, ba ba ba. We, we, we're with you. We're, there. we're just happy you're here on Easter. But it's, it's incredible how the way, the way sights and sounds and smells can pull you back in. I bet that morning Peter was just thinking of, of his failure and his, his, his mess-ups. And if you follow the life of Peter, if you fast forward to John 21, you know what he does? He goes back to fishing. God had, Jesus had actually called him out of that lifestyle, and he was right back in it. He was right in the middle of, of that because he didn't know what else to do. Maybe, maybe you followed God before. Maybe you said yes to Jesus, and, and you were so proud of that moment, excited about what happened. And then you found yourself making some mistakes, and, and you're back doing something that God has called you out of before. And I, I'm just here to tell you that, that if, if, if you're here today and you find yourself in that spot, Jesus is calling you back. Have you ever, have you ever tried to do something right? And you tried so hard to make it right, and, and you did whatever you could to try and make it work, and it didn't turn out so awesome. You told people that it was going to be incredible, but it wasn't so incredible. And, and, and you said that God was going to show up in some powerful way, and, and, and he doesn't, and, and when he doesn't show up the way that you think that he should, and now you, you don't even want to face those people because you're like, gosh, what do I tell them? Every one of us face failure at some point. Have you ever had this moment, and especially those of us who are a parent, you ever had a moment where you thought you were going to be an awesome parent and you turned out being a terrible parent? <laughs> if that's never happened to you, then either you're not a parent or you're a liar. <laughs> I mean, like, that, that was the only two options. Like, every one of us as parents, we, we think we're going to be amazing, we're thinking we're be awesome, but they have these moments in our life where things don't turn out like they should. I, I mean, I'm blessed. I have an incredible wife, three amazing kids. When they were little... They were absolutely crazy. Like, they just did all kinds of crazy stuff. And I'll never forget, one time they, they begged me to get a basketball goal. Like, Dad, would you please just get me a basketball? We're going to have so much fun. If you'll just get me this basketball goal, we'll put it in the driveway. It'll be so much fun. And so finally I caved. I said, okay, we'll get the basketball goal. We get it. One Christmas I got on the basketball goal. And, and the basketball goal led to a whole lot of problems, if I could just be honest with you. It led to lots of games, like games like I call um, move the cars or yell at the kids, right? Be, be, because they were just terrible at rebounds, and, and they were always constantly fighting over the basketball goal. And I remember one time they were playing basketball. They were playing the game horse. You guys know what horse is, right? You know, you, you make the basket. If you, your partner misses, they get a letter. And so they're out there in the yard, and they're playing this. And I was doing some project in the garage, and I, I'm sawing away at something. And I wouldn't have interrupted them or, or, or interfered in any way, but I started hearing them fuss and fight. And they were fighting over how many baskets the other one had made or not made. And, and so I looked, and, and, and I wouldn't have intervened except for I kept hearing my 11-year-old shout at the top of his lung, you're a hoe! No, you're a hoe! And, and, and I stopped. I was thinking, what, what's going on? And then the other one started saying, no, you're a H-O-R, but he didn't say that. And they're yelling at the top of their lungs. And I went out there and I said, whoa, whoa, stop before they call CPS on me. Right? Why are you yelling in that way like, at each other? And, and, and the game became pig because it was a lot faster and cleaner, you know, <laughs> at, at the end. Um, but, but I sat them down and I started lecturing them. I was like, hey, listen, man, do you, don't talk to each other that way. Don't yell at each other. I gave them this really good lecture. They all listened and everything. And then, you know what I did? I did what a lot of parents do. You know, uh, a lot of dads will do this, right? I did the whole think fast. You, you, you ever did the think fast thing, you know, like where you throw the ball at them and, and what you expect is that they're just going to move their hands a little quick and, and, and be forced to catch it. Um, and so I threw it right at my 12-year-old. I said, think fast. Only um, he had never heard of the think fast game. 
So, so instead of like, like not raising his hands up uh, fast enough, he didn't raise them at all. And so it just, it, like to him, I, it was just me throwing a basketball right at his face. And, and it was like it happened in slow motion too. I said, think fast. And the ball just hit him perfectly. It was like, you know, I was like, oh no. And I saw the glasses. He wears glasses. He, they, it flew off of his face and they broke in two. And he just lie there on the concrete. And I thought, oh no. I came over there, picked him up, got him back up, looked at the glasses. Glasses and they're broken in two. And of course, the, the, the eye doctor is not open on the weekend. So we had to super glue him and tape him. The poor guy looked like Revenge of the Nerds for, for the rest of the weekend. But fortunately, that was the only thing that was broken, except for the things that he'll talk about in therapy later. And, <laughs> And so, like, the, but the thing is, is, is maybe you've felt like that before in your life, right? Maybe it's felt like, the, like life just hit you in the face. And maybe it was in a relationship, or maybe it's in marriage, or, or your finances, or a hope, or a dream. I don't know where it is, but maybe at some point in your life, you feel like life just came and hit you right in the face. Like, raise your hand if you're over 30, over 30 years old, yeah. And there's something that happens when you're like, when you're in your 20s, you could do anything, right? It's like, I, I could be anything, I could do anything, I could accomplish anything. And then when you get like over 30, and some of us are over that, we're 40s and 50s and 60s, you start looking at your life and you think, what happened? Like, I, I, I was gonna be so many things, I was gonna do so many things, and you start looking in your life and you have to wonder, like, what is life all about? What is gonna happen? What's gonna come ahead? me? Am I going to just lie here on the concrete? Or am I going to get up and I'm going to be who God has called me to be and do the things that God has called me to do? Or am I just going to stay in the situation that I'm in? That's where the disciples were. Everything looked horrible to them. They were down. They felt out. They, out of nowhere, it seems like life has hit them right in the face. Like Friday was silent. Friday was terrible. Saturday was silent. And Sunday, they didn't know Sunday is coming. Like that, that's the, the most amazing thing to me. Like we, we all know today's Easter Sunday, but, but they didn't get that. They weren't there. Like, like they weren't thinking, it's Friday, but Sunday is coming. <laughs> like, like they're just thinking, this is it. This is, this is as bad as it gets. Everything that we had banked on is gone. It's now over. See, they didn't realize that the cross was the symbol of scandalous grace. They didn't understand that the cross was crazy love, that the cross literally changed everything. They didn't get it. They didn't know. They didn't understand that this is the difference between our Christianity and every other religion on the world is that our God didn't stay dead. He got up off of that cross. They didn't recognize it. See, this is the thing that, that separates us from anything that would call itself anything. That Christianity, is, it speaks this, this amazing thing that our God didn't stay dead. He got back up. And that's incredible. And it's an amazing thing because it changed everything. And the truth is that, that, that nobody understood it. None of those people back then recognized that that was going to happen. Does, does that ever puzzle you? Like, like Jesus, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus told the disciples that this was going to happen. He said, listen, I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back. Don't worry about it. And either they weren't paying attention or they didn't listen or they were in the middle of their darkest moment and they couldn't see it. But Jesus said that. Like the truth is they should have been planning the greatest party ever, right? They should have been prepared because Jesus said this was going to happen. They should have been getting together and saying, okay, guys, let's figure this out. Bartholomew, you bring the barbecue, right? You're probably from Tennessee. Bring us some barbecue, right? John, you come on. You, you, maybe it, you bring the tacos. Maybe it wasn't John. Maybe it was Juan. Like the, we don't know. Juan, the beloved. You, you bring the tacos, right? Peter, you're good with fish. Bring fish tacos. Well, come on. We'll just have an, a, a celebration. This will be a party. Come on. It'll be something really, really good. We'll do the countdown. Jesus will come through the door 
four. We'll say three, two, one, and then we'll do the hit the Bee Gees. Stand alive, stand alive, right? Like, I mean, like this should have been a party. The disciples should have been excited about that. But instead of, of celebrating, instead of getting really excited about it, they were just down and out. They didn't see that it was happen, happening. They couldn't see. And this is the thing that tells me, this is what it teaches me, that Jesus always has the final say. It doesn't matter if you see it or don't see it. If it, doesn't, it doesn't really even matter if you know it's going to happen or it doesn't. If you feel like you're at the bottom of your moment, if this is the darkest moment of your life, Jesus has the final say. There was this very pivotal character in the story of Jesus in the last three years of, her life, of his life, and it, her name was Mary Magdalene. And we don't know a whole lot about Mary. Mary, um, some theologians want to describe her in all kinds of ways. They want, some people want to say that she was a woman of ill repute. She was the, the lady my boys were playing the basketball game about. But we, we, truth is, we don't know that. Like, there's no biblical reference to that at all. So we don't really know. Only thing we know about Mary is that at some point in her life, she was troubled by many spirits. She had been dealing with a whole lot of things, and she met Jesus. And the moment that she met Jesus, he, he healed her. He delivered her. All that worry, all that doubt, all that depression, all that anxiety, all of those suicidal thoughts, all of those melted away the moment that she met Jesus. And, and when she met Jesus, her whole life changed. And so for the next three years of, of her life, she followed Jesus everywhere she went, where he went. And, and his, his ministry, she was a part of it. In fact, she was one of the last people at the cross. She was one of the last people, as they put him in that tomb and rolled that giant rock in front of it, she was one of the first people that were there that morning. This is how the Bible records it in Luke chapter 24. It says, but very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified, bowed with their faces to the ground. The men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone that is alive, who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. And if you have your, your Bibles today, if you're following along in your Bibles, you, you ought to highlight, you ought to just underline, you ought to circle the next four words. He said, they, the, the angels told him this, remember what he told you. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the son of man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, that he would rise again on the third day. And they remembered what he said. This is what I want you to do. I want you to remember what the Lord told you. The Lord may have told you something. Let me tell you the promises that God said. God says, I'll be with you. I'll never leave you. I don't care how bad it gets. I don't care when the moments are so bad that it doesn't look like there's a way out. He's going to come through. He'll turn your mourning into dancing. He'll turn your sorrow into joy. And I don't care what it is that you're going through today. Our God promised that he will be with you even to the end. And so here's the thing. Yeah, come on, give him praise. Here's the thing that I want you to remember Don't doubt in the dark what God told you in the light Don't doubt what God has told you in the dark moments In those moments where it doesn't seem like there's any hope You could say it this way if you could write this down it's Number two, act on what God says, not on what you see That's what we ought to do We ought to act on what God has said Now sometimes we get so wrapped up with the dark we get so wrapped up trying to see what God is doing when we can't see anything in front of us. In those dark and difficult moments, we, our imaginations can run wild with us. 
Like how many of you would raise your hand when you were little and say, I was afraid of the dark? Come on, be honest. I was afraid of the dark. Yeah. Raise your hand if you're still afraid of the dark. There you go. Yeah, there's a few of us. Some are like, no, I ain't afraid of the dark. And the lights go out and you're the first one to jump up. Like, What's going on, right? Like, like the truth is, you remember being a kid and we thought like, like as long as you were under the covers, you were okay. Like the monster couldn't get your foot. As it's, it's almost like the monster was like, oh, oh, I was gonna get that foot, but you put it under the cover. It can't do anything now. It, we make up all these crazy things when we can't see. The darkness causes us to do a whole lot of foolish things. I, I'll never forget one time my wife didn't know that I was, um, I was coming back from a trip and she didn't know that I was gonna be there early. So I, was, I got in real late at night. And so, I didn't have my keys. The front door was locked, but I knew we had a, a spare key in the back. And I, I was trying not to wake anybody up. So I, went, I kind of creep, crept along into the back door, found the spare key, and I opened up the back door as quietly as I could. Now, Deborah, being by herself, she wanted to make sure she had, had like a, you know, a system in place in case somebody broke in, right? And so she took a chair and she put it by the back door. You know, like how you would wedge a chair under the door to keep it? Only the problem was the chair wasn't big enough to reach. So she just put the chair by the door. Like that was... And, the alarm system. I don't know what that was supposed to do. It actually kind of worked because when I opened up the door, the chair made this noise. And when it did, Deborah heard that and she was alarmed to it. And so she's under the impression that somebody is breaking in the back door. And her tactic here was incredible. She disguised her voice like a man. And she said this, who's there? It was like, if you've ever met Deborah, it's the most ridiculous voice ever. No one was intimidated by this voice. Who's there? So I, I said, it's me. I'm a murderer. I've come to kill you. <laughs> the thing is, is like we do some amazing things in the dark, right? When we're, when we're afraid and we're nervous, our, our, our mind gets away from us and we start thinking about all of these things. We don't like the dark. But can I tell you this? Our God works best in the dark. Some of our best, the best work that God does happens in the dark. Look at Genesis 1. Genesis 1.1, God creates the heavens and the earth before he ever cuts the light on. Isn't that incredible? Did you know this? That he created, he said, let there be light, and then four days later he made the sun. Why? Because the sun's not the source, he's the source. And he, the sun, only the thing the sun does is reflect the source, which is God. And G Jesus does some of his best work inside the dark. We don't like the dark, but we actually need moments of darkness in our life. Did you know that? Let me just be real scientific on you for a, for a moment. There's some things inside of your brain. They're, they're called essential neurotransmitters, okay? Serotonin and melatonin. And, and, and doctors will tell you, if you don't have healthy levels of these, it will lead to mental health. And what they are is serotonin is this, this thing that is produced inside of your brain that helps wake you up. And it gets you up. When, it's, when the sun is shining, it, it, it is produced and, and you, you get woken up. Melatonin is the thing that conks you out. And, and, and it, you can actually take melatonin and it's got like a natural sedative. And you need this. Like if you don't have these chemicals in the right way in your brain, it'll lead to mental issues. And the truth is you can only get melatonin, you can only get that when it's dark. You can't sleep in the light, right? You, you have a hard time doing that. You, you can't dream with your eyes open, right? Your eyes have to be closed in order for you to dream. God does some of his best work in the dark. And, and there are moments that we have to have these moments of darkness because it's actually good for us. But the problem is we don't like to go through the dark moments because why? We feel like we're alone. And in those dark moments in our life, we feel like, man, God, where is God? He's not there. And, and I, let me just tell you this. Some of the most incredible times in scripture when people are the closest they've ever been with God are in dark moments. And this is what I want you to understand if you're going through a dark moment in your life. Where you're going, where you're headed is so much greater than what you're going through right now. 
In fact, if I could say it this way, number three in your notes, last thing, is this. If Jesus is all you have, you have everything you need. That sounds really preachy, doesn't it? It sounds like a good, like I probably should say that in a preacher, but like if you got, if all you got is Jesus, then you got all you need, bless God. But I'm, I'm here to tell you, that's about as true a statement as I could make because if all you have is Jesus, you got everything you need because he's the guy that could defeat it all. He's the guy that's got it all. The resurrected one could resurrect you. If all you have is Jesus, then you have everything you need. The last book in your Bible, the book of Revelation, John, the apostle John, describes heaven. God gives him this picture of what heaven's like. And in this moment, he gives a description of who Jesus is, and I just absolutely love it. And this is what it says in Revelation 5. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who, sit, who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. There's this scroll. That, that, that will talk about the end of time. And he says, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven, on earth or under the earth, could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And then the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. In other words, there is a king who is able. There is one who is unlike anyone else, who has the power and the authority to do what no one else is called to do. There is a God who is more than able. He has all power, which means if he's got all the power, then that means somebody else has none. Our God has the power to do it, and I love that he describes him as a lion. He says he's like the lion of the tribe of Judah. You know that the lion is the king of beasts. I don't know if you've ever but the lion is able to do incredible things. I started looking into lions when I saw that John described him like that. You know lions sleep with their eyes open so nobody can sneak up on them. Lions are able, when they go to hunt, their tail gets rid of their tracks so no one can follow. A hunter can't get on a, a lion's trail because he hides them. There's no way that the enemy of a lion can track him down. I think it's pretty interesting. Back in the ancient days, they used to think this about lions. They would think that a lion, a, a baby cub of a lion was born dead. In fact, the only way that the lion cub came to life was when the father lion roared. Boy, I think there's some people in this house right here today that need the roar of a father lion in their life. That they're, they're looking at the lives around them and they're thinking, what I really need is that resurrecting lion to roar into my life. But let me tell you the most amazing thing about lions that I read about is the fact that, our, that lions, and I never knew this about them, they like to go hunt in the dark. Do you know that? Lions like to go hunt in the dark. And not just in the dark, they wait for a storm. When the storm comes, it confuses the enemy. Their, their enemies, their prey, the one that they're going to go and hunt down, they can't hear like the lion can hear. They can't see in the dark like a lion can see. So the lion will wait to that moment where the dark storm hits to go hunt. And sometimes, I'm just here to tell you, you might find yourself in the middle of a dark storm in your life, and you're looking all around you and say, God, where are you? What's happening in this situation? I need you to know this, that there is a lion that fights for you, that you have a God in heaven, a father that goes before you, and there's nothing that you can face, even if you're in a dark, difficult moment, even if you're in a storm of your life, that this lion can't roar his way through. There's a God who loves you. There's a God that's for you. Somebody's, somebody's fighting today, and, and sometimes it takes a fight. 
to fight through your doubt and get to faith because the enemy wants to steal your joy. Do you know that? There's an, if you believe there's a God that loves you, you also ought to believe that there's a devil that hates you. And he wants to steal your joy. He wants to take your faith because he knows if he could steal your faith, he could take your freedom. If he could steal your worship, he could steal the word that God has for you. And if he could take all of that for you, then he can ruin your life. And that's what he wants to do. And maybe that's right where you are. But the enemy has been pushing and shoving you around. Let me just tell you this. He doesn't want you here on Easter weekend. He didn't want you here. Because this is the weekend of his greatest defeat. This is the weekend we celebrate the greatest victory that Jesus ever, ever won for us. And, and I just think about maybe, maybe you're here today and today's the day you need to fight back. Maybe today's the moment that, that you stop running from God and you start fighting. I believe it'd blow the enemy's mind if you fought back today. See, he, he doesn't expect you to do this. And you might say, man, you don't understand. You don't, you don't know what I've been going through. You don't know what, what kind of life I've led and all the things that I've done. And there's so much hurt and so much pain and so much sorrow. And I can't do all the things that you're telling me that I can do because I, I hardly even go to church regularly. And I'm just here to say, it can be difficult to fight when you're frozen in fear. And I get that. I understand that. That's where Mary was. Mary Magdalene, that's where she was that moment that morning. Because we know the end from the beginning of the, the story. We, we know that Jesus came back from the grave, but she didn't know that. She was there watching him die on a cross. And when you're in the middle of the dark moment, and when you're in the middle of the storm, it's hard to see anything else. That's where she was. I could identify with that. Maybe you've had a moment in your life where you're like, man, that, all those preacher words, that sounds really nice, but I'm in the moment. I'm in the messy middle of things. This is what happened for Mary in John chapter 20. Verse 11, it says, Now Mary stood outside of the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look inside to the, the tomb. The two, she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they've put him. I want you to notice that, did you notice she didn't say, well, Jesus said he was coming back, so he should be out walking around somewhere. I'm looking for where Jesus is. See, she came to a graveyard expecting to find a dead man. And I think th this is the reason why so many of us have problems seeing God work a miracle in our life. Because we go to the graveyard expecting dead men. We're not expecting the miracle. We're not expecting God to show up. We're not looking for Jesus. And if you could just get your eyes on Jesus, if you could just put all the other stuff down for a minute and just focus on him, everything would change. Look at what happens. Verse 14, it says at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't recognize that it was Jesus. She didn't recognize him. I wonder, I wonder if you've been so shrouded by the world's logic and, and hurt and pain and obstacles and difficulty that, that you don't recognize Jesus is here, that he's walking the aisles of this place right here, that he's waiting, tapping you on the shoulder, saying it's going to be okay. It's going to work out. It's going to be okay. You just got to trust me. And this is what it said. It says, Jesus asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. I love that. She thought he was the gardener. 
He actually, she actually was right. He was the gardener. He was the one that created the very first garden in your Bible and every other one after that, right? He, he was. But she thought he was just some common gardener. She couldn't see through her pain. She couldn't see through her difficulty. She thought he was just the gardener. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And in that moment, it's almost like Jesus can't resist any longer. He just, he just can't hold back. And he says to her the most powerful thing that he could have ever said in that moment. He calls her by name. He says, Mary. And in that minute, she, her eyes are open. She saw who Jesus was. She turned towards him and she cries out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. It's like in that moment, all of the realization comes to her that Jesus really is back. That really is he. He is who he says he is. That he would do the thing that he said he would do. He would come back from the dead. And in that that moment everything changes for her in that moment in that instant her whole life changes Jesus puts her on a brand new path he gives her a, a mission he says I want you to be the very first evangelist and go tell my brothers that I'm back that I'm alive and she goes and she does that and in that moment everything changes maybe you're here today and and you're standing right now in the graveyard of of your life and it's a dark and difficult time, and you're wondering, is God really real? Is he, is he even going to show up? I'm just here to tell you that you have got a God who, who sent his one and only son to die for you, and he didn't just stay dead, he got back up. And he's calling your name today. 